As Brett mentioned, uh, we are going to observe communion uh, later in the service. So for those of you at home, uh, if you want to scramble to the kitchen and find some form of bread and a liquid of your choice that you can use to join us in, that would be awesome. Well, we're uh, continuing on in our series in the book of John this summer, where we're looking at the good news that John has for us uh, through looking at events in the life of Jesus. Uh, And last week, Dr. Yon talked about some of Jesus' last words to his followers, uh, which was his teaching on the Holy Spirit. And this week, I want to look at one of Jesus' last acts on earth. Uh, At the beginning of John 13, we find Jesus and his followers in Jerusalem, and in chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, we read this. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So the Passover festival, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, was an annual festival that the Jews celebrated to commemorate the freedom uh, or the release from uh, slavery of the ancient Israelites who were in Egypt. And what normally would have been a wonderful few days of feasting uh, and celebrating with friends and family, for Jesus and his followers, in this instance, it was the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, this is not something that took Jesus by surprise. Uh, The passage tells us uh, in verse 1 that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. And verse 3 tells us that Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he's not surprised about this. Uh, Not only was he aware of his impending arrest and eventual execution... But he was also aware of the bigger cosmic story that was going on behind the scenes. Uh, He makes it clear here by talking about uh, the devil already putting it in the heart of Judas to betray him, that there's more going on behind the scenes. It's not just uh, that the religious leaders wanted to see Jesus killed so that he would stop attracting followers and they could be the ones in power again. But it tells us that the devil himself is working behind the scenes on a a supernatural spiritual level to stop the work of Jesus in the world. Uh, So there's more going on than than it appears just on the surface. Uh, In the midst of all this, though, Jesus is not helpless. Uh, According to verse 3, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And so his coming death was not something that was being forced on him by others and that he had no control over. Uh, Jesus, the creator of all things, is allowing this to happen to him, and he's allowing it for a greater purpose. Uh, There's a wonderful passage in Matthew uh, that talks about the same episode here where he tells his disciples, if I wanted to, I could call thousands of angels to my help right at this moment and they would rescue me from this. But he doesn't, because he, he knows what's happening, and he, he's in charge here. He wants something to happen. There's a greater purpose going on here. So Jesus is in complete control in the midst of all this. And it's with all this knowledge uh, in his mind that it, it gives us context for his last act here, um, and it even gives us the motivation for it. 
Uh, now, you would expect that Jesus's kind of last act with his disciples would be something really impressive, right? It would be something grandiose. Maybe uh, it's a uh, sort of a real quick lesson on how to heal people miraculously, or maybe he was going to produce their final meal just out of thin air like that, right? He had been known to produce food out of nowhere before. But instead, we read this, uh, verses 4 and 5, said, So he, Jesus, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying him with, with the towel that was wrapped around him. Of all the things that Jesus could have chosen for his last lesson with his disciples, he chooses washing their feet. Now, if that seems odd to you, you're not alone. Uh, It would have been completely odd to the disciples themselves. Uh, Foot washing was a common practice uh, in ancient Israel. Uh, Most people in that day wore sandals, and so as they walked around town, their feet became dirty because of the dust that was kicked up while they walked. And so the tradition was when they entered someone else's home or their own, uh, they would have their feet washed normally by a servant. But foot washing was one of the lowliest tasks that anyone could ever ask to have to be done by them uh, in the ancient world. Um, In fact, uh, one of the ancient Jewish commentaries on the Old Testament called the Midrash says that foot washing is something that Jewish slaves should not be asked to do. It was beneath them. So normally this is a task that was reserved for uh, slaves of non-Jewish background. Now, I know there's a whole like side conversation that we could have here about uh, the place of slavery in the ancient uh, world, and that's a conversation for another day. But the point uh, that's trying to be made here is that uh, foot washing was a task that was reserved for the least of the least in the culture of that day. Uh, Now, it's possible that there were just no slaves uh, present when Jesus and his disciples met to eat this meal. And if that was the case, then Jesus would have been completely within his rights as a rabbi or a a respected teacher in the community to ask one of his disciples to do the foot washing. But he doesn't. He does it himself. And I I think this was uh, not just maybe odd for the disciples to see happen, to see somebody of his stature stoop to do such a lowly task. It actually might have been offensive to them culturally. They had no category for it. In fact, if we look at Peter's reaction to this whole uh, episode, we'll see that that's probably the case. Uh, In verses 6 through 8, we read, He, Jesus, uh, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize right now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And we'll come back to that phrase in a moment. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. So clearly Peter's put off by this idea of having his feet washed, especially by Jesus. Now to us, this might look like just a, a typical act of servanthood or humility. But humility was not a virtue in the ancient world. Uh, Both the Roman and Jewish cultures uh, lived by what we would call an honor system. And in that system, uh, doing good deeds didn't necessarily have value in and of itself. Uh, Good deeds were a means to an end. So 
if there was something kind that you could do for somebody else, uh, it was only valuable if it could uh, bring honor to you and your family or increase your reputation in the community. Uh, If there was an opportunity to do a good deed but it wouldn't bring honor to you and your family or increase your reputation, then it wasn't worth doing, okay? So uh, in this situation, foot washing would never in any situation have been an activity that would have been thought to bring honor to you or your family. It would not, you don't increase your reputation by washing other people's feet. Uh, That's the work of slaves in this culture. Uh, In his book, uh, Humilitas, historian John Dixon says that humility in the ancient world was seen as shameful lowering of oneself. Uh, It's a putting of oneself lower than others around them, and it's seen as weakness, and it's not encouraged. So if that was the mindset that the ancient Jews and Romans had about acts of humility like foot washing, then Peter's response makes all sorts of sense. It's understandable. That's how he would have viewed an act like this. But Jesus goes on to say, unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. So clearly, Jesus really wanted Peter to engage in this. He wanted him to participate and learn something. Uh, In verse 9, we read Peter's response. He says, then, Lord, Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. Uh, So if you know anything about the Apostle Peter, this is a classic Peter response. Uh, Peter's kind of an all-or-nothing sort of guy, and so if he realizes he's not going to get out of having his feet washed by Jesus, then he wants the full cleansing deal, right? Just head, hands, the whole nine yards, right? Now, there could have been a number of reasons that that he went that route, but whatever they were, uh, it's clear that he didn't quite understand what Jesus was wanting to do here. Uh, So Jesus explains a little bit more in verses 10 through 11. Uh, Jesus answers him, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, which we'll come back to. Uh, For he knew who it was that was going to betray him. And that's why he said not every one of you is clean. So Jesus affirms here the cultural norm that those who had bathed already only needed to have their feet washed when they entered someone's home. Uh, There was no need to go overboard, as maybe Peter is suggesting here. So the episode wraps up uh, in this way, verses 12 through 17, uh, we read, When he, Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Now, Jesus already suggested that Peter probably didn't understand what was going on. And my guess is that he asks this question because he knows none of them understood what it was that he was trying to do. And it gives him an opportunity to explain. So we continue. Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus says that he's setting an example for his servants, or his disciples to follow. Uh, And he makes it clear that if he, the leader of the group, is willing to do this lowly thing for them, then they should have no excuse for wanting to do it for another person. Uh, for each other. Um, 
when I graduated from college, uh, I spent a year trying to figure out what I was going to do next because that's what people with music theory degrees do. And, and I spent a year uh, working in a computer software store. And one of our daily tasks was to clean the shelves that the software and the video games were on. And I had two managers that I worked with. And one of them, when he wanted the, the shelves clean, uh, would just tell one of the employees, hey, you need to go clean the shelves. And then he would go to the back room and read the newspaper or talk on the phone with his friends. Uh, and we were left to, to clean the shelves on our own. I had another manager, though, who, when he wanted the shelves clean, he would come out from the back room with two bottles of cleaner and two rags. He would hand one pair to the employee, and he would keep one for himself, and he would say, hey, let's get these shelves clean. Now, I probably don't have to tell you which manager we liked better. Um, clearly, it was the one that was willing to do the task that he was asking us to do himself. And that's what's happening here. Uh, Jesus knows that this is not something uh, culturally that his disciples would want to do. And so he's saying, if I, your teacher, am willing to do this, then you, of course, should be willing to do this as well. Uh, now, side note here, there's no evidence in the rest of the New Testament that Jesus is instituting a new uh, ritual practice. He's not saying that foot washing specifically is something that his disciples should continue to practice over the years. Uh, I think there's more generally, he's saying, that his followers should be willing to serve one another uh, in any way out of love, even in the most menial of tasks, like foot washing. Uh, so what Jesus is doing here is he's introducing, or maybe reintroducing, a new and better way of relating to one another in community. Uh, this attitude of serving one another uh, and putting others' needs before one's own went against the honor culture of the day. But Jesus is saying that in Christian community, in the kingdom of God, humility is a virtue. And serving one another is the way that we should relate to each other. Jesus actually taught about this idea before, um, and that's why I said reintroduce. Uh, in Matthew 20, verse 16, after telling a parable about a wealthy man who was a landowner and treated people generously, whether they deserved it or not, uh, Jesus says that the last will be first and the first will be last. And here in the episode that we're looking at this morning, He's actually demonstrating that principle by serving his disciples and washing their feet. He's doing something that society would say should be done by people who would serve him, but instead he is serving others. And he says that his followers will be blessed if they treat one another similarly. So here's the first piece of good news in our passage this morning, and it's this. Anyone can be great in the kingdom of God. Uh, greatness in the kingdom is not determined by wealth or power or position or even skill or ability. <clears throat> Jesus said that the world would know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. Uh, greatness in the kingdom is measured by our willingness to serve one another out of love for God, even in the most practical ways. And those are things that anyone can do, Right? Anyone can be great in the kingdom of God. Now, like a lot of things, there's a tiny but that goes along with this. Uh, it's true that anyone can be great in the kingdom by serving one another, but serving is not something that comes naturally 
to us. We don't naturally think to put other people's needs before our own. Uh, Serving is something that we need to learn or even practice before it becomes natural to us. And so I want to make some suggestions today uh, about how you can take some practical steps, myself included, because this is an area I need to work on, uh, about how we can begin to learn to serve one another in very uh, practical ways. Uh, And if you want to read more about this, uh, these are actually suggestions that come from John Ortberg's book, uh, The Life You've Always Wanted. So the first category is menial tasks, which is what Jesus was illustrating here. I think often when we think about serving others, uh, just mentally we think if it's not some big sort of grandiose thing that we do for somebody, it doesn't really count. But the reality is, is that often the most meaningful acts of service are the smallest ones. And those are the ones that are available to us every day. Uh, Things like taking out the trash, unloading the dishwasher, mowing the yard, or making a new pot of coffee at the office when it's empty are great examples of ordinary everyday things that we can do in the power of the Holy Spirit, that as we, if we see them as ways to serve others in the name of Jesus, God can actually use those things to form us into people who have servants' hearts. Uh, so basically, any task that you hope that somebody else will do instead of you, that's a great place to start when we talk about learning to serve others humbly. Uh, I know, those aren't super exciting. I, I hate doing dishes, but it's the thing that God regularly in my life says, you need to do this for the sake of the other people in your household because it will bless them. So, so I'm learning this as well. Uh, Another category of things to think about is being interruptible. Uh, Allowing other people to interrupt what you're doing tells them that they're important to you, uh, more so than the task that you're currently doing. Uh, Now, I want to acknowledge Almost all of us need chunks of time during the day where we can be focused and not interrupted in order to get things done. But uh, I know some of us have a tendency to never want to ever be interrupted, and that's not necessarily helpful when it comes to serving others. And so if that's kind of how you experience things, uh, I want to encourage you to at least think about your days and maybe pick a certain time of the day where you're just going to say, I'm interruptible during this time, and whatever's going on, whoever asks something of me, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and give them my attention. And I think that if you start doing that, you'll notice that people, especially your family, but also your coworkers, will really appreciate that you see them and they'll feel served. Uh, the last category to think through uh, is similar to the, the previous one, and it's just being available. Uh, It is so easy these days to fill our lives from the moment we we wake up to the moment we go to bed with activity. Uh, It can be things like work or hobbies or social engagements or more work. Um, There's all sorts of stuff that fills our time, but it's really hard to serve people when you're not even available to do so. And so if you find yourself in a place where uh, the words, I don't have time for that, come out of your mouth or go through your mind way more often than you would like, then I want to encourage you to take some time this week and look at your schedule and ask yourself, why is my schedule so full? What is it that's driving me to fill my time all the way to the brim? Uh, And I'm going to trust that God will say something to you regarding that. Uh, And then I want you to look at your schedule and pick one or two small chunks of time where you just, you're not going to schedule anything in. You're just going to be available to the people around you. 
Um, I encourage you maybe to pick those times when you're at home uh, because it's probably family or roommates who will appreciate that the most. Uh, but, but there are other settings where that could work as well. So being available is a great way for us to serve others. Uh, there's plenty more that I could say about this, but I want to move on because I want to get to our second piece of good news in this section. Uh, in order to find that, we sort of need to look at the story on a, a little bit different level. Um, and there's a couple ways. So for sure, uh, Jesus is demonstrating a very practical principle of how we should relate to one another by serving each other in love. Uh, but he's also symbolically illustrating what he is about to accomplish through his death and resurrection. And there's a couple parts of our passage that give hints to this. Uh, the first few are found in Jesus' conversation with Peter. When Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me, uh, that sounds pretty intense if he's just talking about washing your feet before dinner, right? It's hard to imagine he's saying, look, Peter, either you wash your feet or you're out. You can't have dinner with us. Um, so it seems like maybe there's more going on here. Uh, later in the conversation, he tells Peter, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. So I don't think at this point Jesus is saying he hasn't gotten around the table to wash everybody's feet yet, so that's why they're not all clean. Um, uh, in verse 11, that's verified for us because uh, John tells us that he, Jesus, knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. So it seems that there's another kind of cleanness that Jesus is talking about alongside of the very practical issue of the guys having their feet clean. And of all the options that are available to us, I think the best one is that he's talking about being spiritually clean. Uh, what Jesus is doing is he's foreshadowing his own death and resurrection and how that will wash away the sins of people who trust in him, and it will make them clean before God. Uh, the Bible consistently teaches that it's our sin that separates us from God and prevents us from having a connected relationship with him. And there are numerous images, uh, even in the Old Testament, that talk about how we need to be cleansed uh, of our sins. Uh, so that's the first set of clues. The second clue that we have that there's more going on here uh, is that it's what Jesus picked to do in the first place. So Jesus could have picked any sort of menial task uh, that the guys could have thought of in order to illustrate the principle of treating one another by serving each other through love. But he specifically picked one that involved washing, and I think that was intentional because he's trying to illustrate something bigger here in the midst of his practical example. And so this brings us to our second piece of good news, which is this. Anyone can be washed clean of their sins and have a relationship with God. It's available to everybody. Now, like our first piece of good news, there's a tiny but that goes with that. Uh, anyone can be washed clean of their sins, but in order for that to happen, we have to humbly admit that we need washing and that we need, we need to allow Jesus to make us clean. I think that was what Jesus was getting at when he told Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Uh, on the one hand, yes, Peter's refusal to have his feet washed by Jesus had to do with the cultural idea of somebody of higher standing than him performing uh, such a lowly task. But I think it also shows us uh, something which is sort of a pattern with Peter is that he's not always open to receiving help from Jesus or anyone else for that matter. He wants to do things himself. Uh, 
And in this case, maybe what Jesus is getting at is that Peter needs to be willing to receive the spiritual cleansing that Jesus offers him. Uh, I also think that this explains why Jesus said that not all of them were clean. He knew that Judas had rejected him as the Messiah, and he had refused or not received uh, the cleansing work in his life that Jesus offered. So my experience in life, uh, I've learned that receiving an act of service can often take as much humility as offering service to other people. In fact, uh, I think receiving an act of service sometimes takes more humility than offering service. And that's actually probably a message for another day. I could spend an hour on that. Uh, We human beings, we don't like to admit that we need help, right? But we do, often. Uh, We all need help. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. And because of that, uh, Jesus' offer of spiritual cleansing is available to every one of us, but we have to be willing to receive it. It doesn't just come on us without our willingness to take it. So here's what we're going to do. Our our response to the first uh, piece of good news this morning was that we were going to practice learning how to serve one another uh, out of love so that we become servant-like people. And the way that we're going to respond to the second piece of good news uh, takes two forms. First of all, uh, if you've never come to a place where you put your trust in Jesus as the one to offer your relationship with God and make that possible by cleansing you from your sins, then I want to encourage you to do that this morning. And it can be as simple as uh, having a conversation in your mind with God, uh, saying a quick prayer, and just acknowledging that's something that you want to do. And he would be happy to cleanse you from your sins and allow you to begin a relationship with him. The other way that we can respond to the second piece of good news uh, maybe more applies, applies to those of us who have already begun a relationship with Jesus, and that's by uh, observing communion, and that's something that we want to do today. Uh, communion is an act of remembering what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins and to make a relationship with him possible. And it's through the symbols of the bread and the juice that we're reminded that his body was broken to pay the penalty for our sins and that his blood was shed to wash us clean. So as we were prepared to take the elements this morning, uh, I want you all to reflect on first how Jesus' act of humbling himself to the point of death on a cross is a model for how we should relate to one another. And then I also want you to think about how our need to be cleansed spiritually is what drove Jesus to sacrifice himself for us. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> for those of you who are in the building, real quick, uh, I know these little packets are sometimes a little challenged to work with, so I want to encourage you uh, just now to start taking the top flap uh, and opening it up so that the, <clears throat> the bread is available, and then maybe even... Start on that bottom flap real quick, just so that it's ready when you need it. And for those of you at home, trust that you've found some elements and that you'll join us uh, in observing communion this morning. In the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, 
took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ broken for us. Paul goes on to write, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ, which washes us clean of our sins. Paul says whenever we do this, when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And that's what we do this morning as we remember his example for us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you um, for the life and the teaching of your son Jesus. Thanks for his example this morning of being willing to humble himself and serve others, uh, even though culturally it seemed below him. Thanks that that's a model for how we should relate to one another. Thank you as well uh, that his humbling himself was an example of what he did on the cross to wash us clean uh, in our souls and to make relationship with you possible. So we are grateful for Jesus and his work today, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, Let's respond by singing.